this in the newspaper this week from Eureka, California. A woman was swept out to sea by a large wave and drowned on a North Cal- Northern California beach Sunday in the third such tragedy in the region this winter, authorities said. The 32-year-old woman was walking on a beach near Shelter Cove in Humboldt County with her boyfriend and dog when the wave pulled her out to sea, the Coast Guard said. The ocean today was extremely hazardous. The waves were about 10 to 15 feet, volunteer fire department spokesman said. An officer of the Shelter Cove Volunteer Fire Department told the Eureka Times Standard that the woman's boyfriend avoided being swept away by climbing on top of a rock. So-called sneaker waves, the kind that suddenly roar ashore, have washed four people into the region's waters this winter. A man and his wife were walking on the beach near Point Reyes on New Year's Day when a wave overtook their dog. The couple went into the water to rescue the dog. The man was swept away. His wife and the dog made it safely to shore. In November, a couple drowned and their 16-year-old son disappeared while trying to save their dog at a beach near uh, Arcata. The dog was chasing a thrown stick when it got pulled into the ocean by 8 to 10-foot waves. Winter is especially dangerous time on the beaches in Northern California. And the sneaker waves can catch beachgoers by surprise, washing them out to sea. The Coast Guard said in a statement, people walking along the beach should not turn their back to the ocean. It's really a sad story. I mean, people that are out for a nice, wonderful day for a walk on the beach are suddenly pulled into the ocean and drowned by a sneaker wave. Uh, Really, really sad story. But the thing that really caught my attention about the story was that last line. People that are walking on the beach should not turn their back to the ocean. That just, really? You don't turn your back on the ocean? As I read that, I thought, you know, there's someone who is more dangerous, someone who is more sinister, someone who specializes in sneaking up on you, and someone who wants to destroy you. And that, of course, is Satan. We are here in a two-part series on spiritual warfare titled, The War Rages On. You have your Bibles, open them with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll read verses 10 through 20. This is part two in the series. We'll have at least three parts. While you're turning, let me remind you, this is Super Bowl Sunday. As always, we'll have our service early today at 4 o'clock. Four o'clock, we'll conclude our study in the book of Micah before Brother Cook comes next Sunday to teach us about Psalms. That's going to be a three-part study throughout the month of February. I hope you'll come and take advantage of that opportunity. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. You keep your Bibles open in this passage. We'll look at several verses around it in the message today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith 
with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit with this in view, be on alert with the perseverance and uh, petition for all saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I that in proclaiming it I may boldly speak as I ought to speak. Last week we saw that there is a being called Satan who is pure evil. He is the opposite of God, not opposite, but in opposition to God. He is not opposite God because he is neither omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He is not self-existent nor self-sufficient. However, he is out to destroy each and every one of us. Everything that God loves, God has created. And in our case, God is in the process of recreating. He wants to destroy. But we also saw that even though he has great power and we cannot face him alone, the victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Jesus made that winning punch on the cross. And even though Satan is defeated, he is still powerful and fighting to the very end, attempting to destroy you in the process But the faith that we have in Jesus Christ brings victory into our lives. The command of the passage that we look at today is that we are to stand strong in the Lord. The word stand strong, of course, four times in this passage, in verse 11 and twice in verse 13. He tells us that we are to stand strong and to do all this so that we can stand strong. But in verse 14, he gives us a command. The verb in verse 14 is an imperative. It is a command to stand firm. One might imagine a line of Roman soldiers called a phalanx standing there with these shields, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. They're approaching the enemy, entering into the battle. Every soldier is critical. Every soldier relying on the soldier next to him. Every soldier there to support and encourage the soldier next to him. And behind him is the general who is shouting and encouraging them to stand firm, to stand strong, to be courageous and to fight as God would have them fight in that war. Paul is that commanding officer behind the line, encouraging us to stand firm. When we have made all the necessary preparations, we have <coughs> excuse me, gotten ourselves ready for battle, we are to stand strong. Polybus, the Roman historian, said that the Roman centurion, which is the heart of the Roman army, was the kind of person who could be counted on to stand fast and not to give way under pressure. We are to prepare ourselves to engage in the fight and be faithful and to stand firm. Martin Luther, when he stood before the Diet of Worms, he had been accused of heresy (coughs) after being condemned for declaring that men are saved by faith alone. Through Christ alone, he responded, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. Before we dig into the word this morning, though, before we get into this passage deeper, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind is, why should you listen to a sermon like this? What possible motivation would you have to listen to a series of messages on spiritual warfare? And I came back with a twofold answer. The first reason you ought to listen to this message is self-preservation self-preservation. When wars break out, there are always people who refuse to accept the fact that there's a war going on. 
They don't want to leave their home. They don't want to vacate the battleground. They just stay in their house, and, and the war wages around them, and they don't even acknowledge it. We have a special technical word for people like that. We call them casualties. Uh, you may not realize that there's a war going on. You may not want to recognize it. You may well even agree with the fact that there's a war going on. But there is a war going on. And you might say, well, Brother Jeff, we've heard about that addiction, drug addiction and porn addiction and all those other addictions that you talk about. Yeah, those things happen in New York City. Well, no, wait a minute. They happen right here in River City, too, right here in Central Texas. There is real danger. Never think for a second that it will not happen to you. But a second motivation for listening to a message like this is the love of God. I was reading a book this week, Satan, by Lewis Ferry Schaefer. Schaefer said this, True devotion to God must naturally issue in a deep desire to be with him and to see his face. The contemplation of Jesus coming again can but kindle a glowing hope in a truly devoted heart. What Schaefer is saying is, is that you know, as we grow and mature and become more and more like Christ and walk with him, we come to genuinely love God and we want to be with him. We want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And when we understand that and know that, then messages like this are important to us because it helps us in the preparation of going to be with Jesus. Here's what John said in 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone <coughs> who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the person who longs to see Jesus, who wants to see Jesus, who wants to be with Jesus, who loves Jesus, hears a message like this and understands that it is vital information to prepare you to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you soak it in. You take it and make it a part of your life. There's nothing that can motivate us to fight the good fight, defeat Satan in our lives like the love of God. So the question we answer this morning in the little bit of time we have left is how? And I can tell already we're not going to cover all of the armor of God today, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. How? How can we defeat Satan? Well, the answer is with the armor of God. This is God's armor. In verse 10, he begins by saying, Be strong in the Lord. We cannot win this fight by ourselves. We cannot win this fight in our own strength. Today, they're going to play this thing called the Super Bowl. And, you know, they've been a lot of talk about the quarterbacks. But let me tell you something. The quarterback is nothing without the halfback. And the halfback is nothing without the tight ends. And the tight end ain't nothing without the tackle and the guard and the center. And none of them are anything without the coach, right? Yeah. Hey, that's we're like that quarterback. And we might have all the skill and all the talent in the world. And we might be the best, most wonderful people that you can ever possibly imagine. But without God, we're nothing. Without God, we cannot fight this fight. We cannot win without him. We're not strong enough 
And we cannot fight our old sinful nature long enough to win the victory that God desires us to have. But with him, we have victory. Jude 24. There's only one chapter in Jude, so it's verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the before him in the presence of his glory with great joy. Did you hear that? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This is praise to God. He's at the end of the sermon, the end of the book, and he's just praising God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's God. But with God, we have a great victory. Without God, we're in deep trouble. That's all there is to it. So let's go back to this and see what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. In verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God. <clears throat> take up. Some translations say put on. The word put on here carries the idea of once for all, permanence. Those guys are going to play the Super Bowl today. And when they get through playing the game, guess what? They're headed for the shower. They're going to take off their pads. They're going to take off their cleats. They're going to take off their helmet. And they're going to hang them in their locker. And they're going to get a shower. And they're going to go home. And they are not going to put those pads on again till next year. That's the way football players do it. But we are not in a game. We do not put on the armor of God and go out and play and then take it off at night. In other words, what he's talking about is we put on the armor of God once for all and we never take it off. This becomes a part of who we are. This armor of God begins to define us. We are to put on the full armor of God. And who is the armor of God? God. What is the armor of God? God. Listen, the armor of God, who is truth? God, who is our righteousness? God, who brought us the gospel? God, who gave us the faith? God, all the time we look at this armor and what we see is God. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Psalms eighteen two. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I would take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is the armor that we are going to put on as we walk with him and fellowship with him and we allow him to influence and impact our lives. As he comes to live in us, he becomes that armor that protects us from Satan. What an awesome concept this is. We don't go out into the war unarmed. We don't go out to war, to battle unprepared. We don't go out there naked, <laughs> you know, just vulnerable. We go out there with God as a shield and God with us. What an awesome thought. And listen, when we go like that, guess what? We win. His armor fits. I love the story of David when he kills Goliath. You remember that story? He gets to the battle. There's Goliath. He's challenging all the Israelites. All the Israelites are shaking in their tents, you know. And David says, you know, what's everybody afraid of? You know, God's on our side. He's, he's just one giant. We can take care of that guy. And they're like, yeah, you go ahead. We're, we're going to wait and see what happens to you. So they take David to Saul and the king. And Saul says, okay, little shepherd boy. You know, I mean, Saul must have been crazy or desperate or something. Yeah, little shepherd boy, you go fight that giant. And, and by the way, you can have my armor. Remember the story? So David puts on Saul's armor. The helmet is huge. <clears throat> the breastplate is huge. 
Everything is monstrous. David can't even walk with this stuff on. But you know what? When God puts his armor on us, it fits. And it works. How wonderful it is. When the time left, let's start looking at this armor. First of all, the belt of truth. The belt was worn around the waist, of course. And in many respects, it held everything in place. The Roman soldier wore a tunic, you know, much like uh, something you would expect. It had a hole for the head, a hole for the arms, and just a big, great big blanket sheet that fit over him. When it came time to fight, he could not have that tunic in his way, so he would tuck the tunic into his belt, and that would keep it tight against his body. Uh, The Hebrew soldiers, Hebrews wore long flowing robes, and if they were to go out into battle with their robes, down around their ankles they would certainly get tripped up and have a hard time so they would gather their robes and tuck them into the belt in many ways the belt held everything in place while they were fighting sometimes they would carry things like a pipe or money or things of that sort tucked into their belt paul was certainly looking at a roman soldier when he wrote this but paul was also an old testament scholar in hebrews chapter 11 we find this righteousness and he's talking about the messiah Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness, a word which is often translated truth, and truth, the belt of his loins. So as we look at the Messiah, we know that he is truth, and he is to be characterized by truth. Now, truth in the book of Ephesians refers to the truth of God revealed in the gospel, which has its outworking in the lives of believers. Let me tell you that, say that again. Truth in Ephesians is the truth of God revealed in the gospel that has its outworkings in the life of the believer. You got your Bibles open? Look over at chapter 1, verse 13. Let's take a walk down this truth path. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So salvation comes we are sealed by that holy spirit what when we listen to the truth we grow up in the truth look over at chapter 4 verse 15 but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ how do we grow speaking the truth learning the truth following the truth living the truth look down at verse 21 chapter 4 Not only do we grow in him, but we grow in Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So this truth that we're looking for, that we want to bind and gird ourselves with, is Jesus Christ. And the rest of scripture supports that. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this word truth refers to facts that can be determined to be true and moral attributes of personal faithfulness. You hear that? Facts that can be determined to be true and moral attributes of the person which is faithfulness. Jesus is both that which is true and he is faithful. Here's what the word of God says about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here we have this concept of truth. And it's essential that Paul began to describe the Roman soldier with this belt of truth. Because as the belt held all the rest of everything together and, and gave him a sense of well-being as he cinched up his belt, you know, when, you, when you're about to go in a fight, you kind of buckle your belt a little tighter so you don't have to worry about your pants falling off in the middle of a fight. That's exactly what he's talking about here. You know, we're girded with that truth and everything is in place and we have strength and certainty because of truth because of the belt as we fight satan we are girded and we have security because of the truth of jesus christ we americans are very activity oriented people we like to get things done and that is good because we get a lot accomplished because we are activity oriented people but the problem is is that if all we do is be active without understanding and knowing the truth, then our activity can be wrong and even sometimes detrimental. So we today need this truth. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you accept what the Word says about Him and about life, you adopt a Christian worldview, you align your life with what He says, And as you walk with him, he builds faithfulness in your life. That's having yourself girded with truth. Now, folks, that is critical. That is critical. You know, I don't think this has ever happened. But could you just imagine this today? I mean, you know, Super Bowl is going on. Ravens quarterbacks drop back. You know, they're going to win, by the way. Don't you know that? He chunks it long. Wide receiver is stretching out. Fingertip catch. He's two yards ahead of the guy behind him. He's running for the goal line. It's going to be a touchdown. It's glory. And he gets about the five-yard line, and his pants fall off. And he trips and stumbles and falls, and the whole team comes in piles on top of him. How embarrassing. That's never happened. You know, it's probably not going to happen today. So, you know, I haven't watched the game yet. Don't know. But wouldn't that be ridiculous? Oh. How many Christians are stretching for the game-winning touchdown and they get tripped up because they don't know the truth? Are you hearing me? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is truth. <clears throat> we live in a world today where truth is not appreciated. We live in a world today where everybody has their own version of truth. My truth, your truth, where truth is relative. But the Word of God says truth is concrete, and the truth is Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? If you are standing on this rock, if you have this belt girding you, you will do well. If not, you are going to be tripped up. Listen, there is no Christian who will live a victorious life free from Satan 
and the damage he wants to do, who does not have a high regard for the word of God and the habit of feasting on it regularly. You need this word. You need it in your hand. You need it in your head. You need it in your heart. You need it in your mouth, speaking it out to other people. That word, it's critical. Andrew Bonner talking about the word of God. <coughs> Imagine a guy dying and going to heaven. <coughs> He's walking along the golden streets one day and he bumps into Ezekiel and Malachi. They're having a little conversation and the older guys are going, well, hey, man, how are you liking heaven? You enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. And after a while, Ezekiel says, well, man, what did you think about the book I wrote? And the young Christian kind of him haws around and goes, well, you know, I, I, I really never got around to reading your book. And Malachi says, well, what about my book? It was a whole lot shorter. Surely you read my book. And the young guy looks up and goes, is that in the Old Testament or the New? Hmm. How many of you know which testament Malachi is in? Keep your hand down. Oh, okay, that's all right. If you, if you know, you can put it up. That's it. Folks, there are no shortcuts. You know, you, you can't go home and put your head on the pillow and turn the tape machine on and, you know, get it by osmosis while you snore. It doesn't work. In the Word, learning the truth, aligning your life with the truth of God's Word. This is critical. The battle cry, this has been in my heart so much over the last months. The battle cry of the reformers when they walked away from the Catholic Church and started what we today know as Protestantism was this, sola scriptura, only scripture. What scripture says, we need this word in us, ourselves girded with truth. A preacher in Scotland years ago was teaching some of his poor people how to read. And then he was called away on an extended vacation or trip. And he was teaching his students how to read, and they were reading through the Bible. And after his long trip, he came back, and he went to visit one of the older gentlemen in the church. And the gentleman wasn't home, so he asked his wife, how's the reading going? Is, is your husband still reading through the Bible? And she said, oh, no, he left the Bible a long time ago. He's moved on to the newspaper. Yeah. How many of us have moved on to the magazine? You know, I do a lot of shopping because, you know, I stop and pick up things when I'm out and about and whatever. And I see those magazines at Walmart, places like that. And every time I look at them, I think, who cares? Who buys that junk? I don't care what that bimbo from Hollywood did. You know, I want something worth reading. Golly day. God bless them all. Let's go on. If you want to stand firm against the attacks of the devil, you must first align yourself with this truth and then have your mind girded with the truth of God's word. I like the saying that somebody said a long time ago, a man whose Bible is falling apart seldom is. That's good. That's good. Well, folks, it's 1139 according to my iPad. And we only have four more armor parts to cover. So I think we will call it a day and take this up next week. You know, folks, all I can say is this. God has given us an absolutely incredible life when we follow Jesus Christ. 
puts our life together here, just like the belt of righteousness, he just has a way of holding everything together, doesn't he? When Jesus is Lord, that doesn't mean you're going to live a perfect, sinless life. It doesn't mean you're going to live a trouble-free life, a problem-free life. But even in the midst of problems, he is there to hold everything together and give us a good life. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. You find that life in Jesus Christ in following the truth. He is the truth. He brings us the truth. As we follow him, we experience that abundant Christian life. Let's pray. <coughs> Most gracious Father, you are God and you are good. Lord, we have struggled so many times in different areas of our lives because we've not allowed you to be our God. We've not allowed you to be our Lord. And Father God, we ask you to forgive us. We repent. And Father God, there have been many times when we have stood against the truth. And we ask you, Lord God, to, Lord, minister to us in our need, bring forgiveness, help us to repent, bring healing to our hearts and our minds and our souls. And Father, above all, be that belt of truth that puts our lives back together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, we extend to you this invitation. If there's anyone here who needs to make a public decision, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, I know that within the sound of my voice, there are those who have never accepted you as Savior. They need to turn their life over to you today. Father, there are others who are believers. They've accepted you, but they've struggled in their walk. And Father God, I pray that today, today they would walk and, and say, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to be in control of my life. And Father, others that need to join the church, some are being called to the ministry. But God, all of us right now have a decision because We've either followed the truth or we've not followed the truth. And God, right now, give us the courage to say, yes, Lord, thy will be done. Thank you, Father. What a gracious and good and wonderful God you are. Thank you, Lord. Now, use this invitation to your own glory and to our benefit. That's our prayer. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.